0: Lord God, we give you honor and praise, Lord, in this place, and we we thank you for your goodness. Lord, as we come to hear the word of God today, we pray you will speak into our spirit and our heart and our minds, and we ask it in Jesus' name. Come on, let's thank God and let's thank our worship team today. Thank you, guys, we appreciate you so much. Well, it's my privilege to introduce, please be seated. It's a privilege to be our guest speaker today. Many of you have been in our church for a while. We'll know Pastor Gordon Neal. Gordon um, has been on the national leadership team and been in ministry for over 50 years, I think, Gordon, and also was my um, regional superintendent for over 30 years. And so we are so glad to have Gordon back with us today. So can we give him a big welcome as he ministers to us today? Thank you, Gordon.
1: Well, I'd just like to say thank you very much for the invitation to be here, also to be in the theatre with you. Um, at the moment, I visit different churches when invited, and sometimes I can be in a very small building with a small group, or I can be in a building, a theatre, or all that. So it really is a variety. But thank you very much for the invitation to be with you today. And I know that Jason and Linda love this church and we appreciate them and the team and all that are involved. There are as many people working behind the scenes as up here and I want to just acknowledge them as well. Well, if you have your Bible with you, I'd like to, this morning, just share with you um, from um, Matthew chapter 12, Matthew 12. In the Scriptures, there are, t- there are times when the word greater is used, the word greater. So there are three statements made about Christ and the word greater. In Matthew 12, 6, it says, one greater than the temple is here, speaking of Christ. Matthew 12, 41, one greater than Jonah is here. Matthew twelve forty two, one greater than Solomon is here. On those three occasions, the scriptures tell us that Jesus was greater than each of those that one thing the temple and those two people. And then we have two occasions when a question is asked. John 4:12, are you greater than our father Jacob? That was asked by the woman at the well. And then John 4:53, are you greater than our father Abraham? And then they add the words who is dead which explains why Jesus is greater. And this morning, I'd like to look at that. On each of those occasions, the discussion was about the identity of Christ, who he was. That's the most important thing we can ever sort out, is once we know who Jesus is, then we can know who we are. Once we know what he did, then that contentment that we spoke about earlier can be ours. And so rather than look at the five in one morning, which would be... Well, impossible. I'd like this morning to focus on the one, Jesus, um, one greater than Solomon is here. So I'm going to read from verse 38 of chapter 12. I'm actually going to use a Bible. And notice here, you all use your iPads and phones. For those who don't know, this is called a Bible. That just shows how old I am. I still read the paper. okay. It says in verse 38, when some of the Pharisees and teachers of the law said to him, teacher, we want to see a miraculous sign from you. He answered, a wicked and adulterous generation asks for a miraculous sign, but none will be given you except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a huge fish, so the son of man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it, for they repented at the preaching of Jonah. Now one greater than Jonah is here. The queen of the south will rise at the judgment with this generation and condemn it, for she came from the ends of the earth to listen to Solomon's wisdom. Now one greater than Solomon is here. I need to pray. Father we thank you for your word. We thank you for the opportunity to read it publicly and disc- preach it publicly. And we ask now that the same holy spirit that breathed this word into being might breathe upon the speaker and hearers alike. Amen. This passage begins with a almost a confrontation between Jesus and the Pharisees. It says, some of the Pharisees and teachers of the law said to him, Teacher, we want to see a miraculous sign from you. Well, I don't think they were really interested at all. They, they were just out to try and catch Jesus. Is this making some noise? Yes, I think, well, for your comfort, and the, the PA people have worked so hard here, it's the shape of my head. It's nothing to do with the microphone. That's okay. Thank you. That's it. I'll just save anybody being uncomfortable. Thank you. Okay, so I can put this down here and use this. Okay. Um, they came to Jesus and it says very simply, some of the Pharisees and teachers of the law said to him, teacher, we want to see a miraculous sign from you. Well, you'd have thought maybe gentle Jesus, meek and mild, would turn round to them and say, okay, what sort of miracle do you want? Well, you see, Jesus never performed a miracle to draw a crowd or to convince a crowd. Jesus only performed miracles to meet needs. That's why when we have a need, we can pray and believe God will step into that for his glory and for his praise. And he turns to them and he says, a wicked and adulterous generation asks for a sign, but none will be given you except the sign of the prophet Jonah. Now he, he puts them in their place. He said, a wicked and adulterous generation now, when Jesus called them an adulterous generation, he wasn't meaning that everyone in that group listening had committed adultery. He was talking about the nation of Israel. So often in Scripture, they, the covenant, when Israel broke covenant with God, they were called unfaithful. And Jesus is now setting the scene. You're expecting this. You're demanding. You want me to perform some sort of miracle. But I'll tell you now, you have no right, for you're a wicked and adulterous generation. You have no right to ask for anything at all because you have been unfaithful to God. And then he gives two illustrations. The prophet Jonah, and we haven't time to look at that, other than he says that the people of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment day and condemn this group that were listening. Now, that must have really upset them. For Nineveh was an Assyrian city. It was later to be judged, although under the preaching of Jonah, they repented. And Jesus used Jonah as an illustration because Nineveh repented. And these Pharisees had no intention of repenting at all because repentance is the doorway into the blessing of God's forgiveness and then he says goes further on so the men of Nineveh will stand up at the judgment of, and condemn it for they repented at the preaching of Jonah and then the verse I'd like us to look at if I can is this in the queen of the south will rise at the judgment with this generation notice for Jonah and for the queen of Sheba they will rise together they will rise with this generation. For there is a resurrection to judgment. There's a resurrection to life when Christ returns and there is a resurrection to judgment. And Jesus is saying that this resurrection, they're all gonna be part of it. It's going to be together. They will rise up with the generation. It says, the queen of the south will rise at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For she came from the ends of the earth to listen to what Solomon's wisdom and now a greater than Solomon is here. So the people of Nineveh repented, the, people, the queen of Sheba listened. And his condemnation to them was very simple. You won't repent and you won't listen and yet you are asking for a miraculous sign. It's important, you know, that we repent. Even as Christians, we need to repent at times. I'm not gonna say how often or when, that'll just bring a bit of bondage to someone or a bit of legalism. But you know, there's nothing wrong in just saying, Lord, my attitude, my behavior or whatever, keep a clean slate with God and never stop listening. Dare I say it, he may well speak to you. He may already have spoken to you by saying, maybe it's time for you and for me to look at repentance there. Not repentance for salvation, that's been dealt with. But for the times maybe when we haven't lived in the way that we should have done, the way that we should have been, and we need to ask for God's forgiveness. And so almost out of his back pocket, he says the queen of the south will rise at the judgment day. Now, he uses Solomon as an illustration. Solomon was a national hero to Israel. He was tops. During Solomon's day, Israel had the largest borders it's ever had. They had the largest army. They had the most money in the bank. They were not a superpower, but they were certainly a power in the region at that time. And so when you said to these people um, about Solomon, their eyes would glaze a bit. Solomon, who wrote the Psalms, so many of the Psalms and the Proverbs and so many books. He was like the Shakespeare of the day almost. You know, he was famous. He was there. When they thought about Solomon, they went, ah, yes. It was almost like that Bisto advert then, wasn't it? You know, it was, you know, Solomon was the man. And then he illustrates. Solomon, about the queen of Sheba who came to see him. Well, it was very simple why Solomon was chosen, because of his wisdom, his wealth, his palace. He reigned for 40 days. When Solomon gained the throne, he asked, God asked him, what can I do for you? And he asked for wisdom to care for God's people. Highest ministry of all, caring for God's people. He said, give me wisdom that I might rule your people well. And God said, you've got it. And because you didn't ask for money, I'm going to give you some. Because you didn't ask for a new car, I'm going to give you a new car. Because you didn't ask for a big house, I'm going to give you a big house. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and all these other things shall be added unto us. And he went for wisdom. And as a result of that, he became famous, international in all that he did. We find in verse four of 1 Kings, he ruled every kingdom between the Euphrates River and the land of the Philistines down to Egypt. The thing about that was, every one of those lands would pay him tribute or taxes. Now, just before you think, well, what did he do with all his money? He had 700 wives and 300 concubines. So you need quite an income coming in, wouldn't you? And with Christmas coming, oh no, there was no Christmas then, but it would have cost him a few bob. And um, sadly, after his reign, the kingdom split. He didn't finish well. Solomon did not finish well. What happened to Solomon was very simple. Having started out trusting in God, he then became famous and um, blessed and powerful and people would come to him. It wasn't a matter of him going to them; they would come to him. But there was a little change of tack with Solomon. These wives and concubines that I've mentioned, he would bring pe- women to his family. He would marry them. The Pharaoh's daughter was part of Solomon's family, and what he did was he tried to secure the kingdom through treaties. The thought is, if Pharaoh's daughters in my palace, he's not going to attack us. It made a trade agreement and etc. between them, and there was safety in it. And instead of trusting God, he trusted in these naturals things these natural agreements and sadly what happened was they would bring their idols with them and their religion Solomon at first would say to them you can't do that but after a while he allowed it and when starting out on such a high place because he sought to do things in his own strength with his own intuition this wisdom that had been given from God suddenly he didn't have the wisdom of God he had the wisdom of Solomon and the wisdom of Solomon was not Good enough. And sadly, he ends in tragedy in his life. He wrote three books: Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and the Song of Solomon. It says in First Kings 10 23, King Solomon was greater in riches and wisdom than all the other kings of the earth. So he was some person, really was. But the the line that Jesus Brings us to, his: the queen of the south will rise at the judgment day. The queen of the south is who we've come to know as the queen of Sheba. And we go back to the story. And back then, the whole world was coming to Solomon. He was famous for his wisdom. He was famous for the the grandeur of his court. And people would come and visit. And the queen of Sheba was one of those people. She came to visit. It says that when she heard about the fame of Solomon, And his relationship to the name of the Lord came to test him with many questions, 1 Kings 10. Now, isn't it interesting? This woman travelled to meet Solomon because she'd heard about his wisdom, wisdom that came from God, no doubt about it. It says there in that verse, she heard about the fame of Solomon and his relation to the name of the Lord. So at that point, Solomon and the name of the Lord were synonymous they were together in that. And when she came, she was curious, not only about his natural wisdom, as she thought, how wise he was, how clever he was, but there was a sense that she realised that there was something spiritual about this man, his relation to the name of the Lord. It says in verse chapter 10, 24, the whole world sought an audience with Solomon to hear the wisdom of God that God had imparted in his heart. See, the wisdom of God is a heart matter, not a head matter. You may not have a degree. You might not have education, et cetera, et cetera. That's fine. And I'm I'm such a person. It doesn't make me better than anybody. It doesn't make me worse than anybody. It's just a fact. Okay. But it says the wisdom that God imparted in his heart See, out here we have, a, in this room, and I can't see hardly anybody because of the lighting, but I can assure you there's a lot of earthly wisdom in this room, a lot of knowledge, a lot of education. Very good. But why Solomon was different was that he came and God imparted his wisdom was a matter of heart. God will deal with the head, of course he will. He's given you a brain. You've got to think things true. You've got to weigh things up, of course. But at the end of the day, It says there that the wisdom of God um, was that God had put in his heart. The whole earth wanted Solomon, but Israel did not want Jesus. And there we have the challenge. He's saying to them, listen, the Queen of Sheba wanted to visit Solomon and listen to what he said. Now I, Jesus, do not have the wisdom that Solomon had I am the wisdom that Solomon had. So Jesus is standing there and saying, you applaud Jonah for his preaching. You applaud Solomon for his wisdom, his writings and the fame and his gold and all the other things. But let me tell you now, one greater than Solomon is here. Solomon gained his knowledge from me, from God. God's fame was only, Solomon's fame was only because God had blessed him because I had blessed him. And then in verse two of that same chapter, it tells us there that she came to Solomon, the queen of Sheba. She brought lots of gifts. Um, She came to him and shared that all that was on her mind. And it says there, Solomon answered all her questions and nothing was too hard for the king. Amazing. Amazing. Nothing was too hard. She asked him about maths. He knew his maths. Chemistry, he knew his chemistry. Football, no. He knew nothing about football. But that didn't mean to say he wouldn't have done if he'd been around today. He knew everything. And here he was, this, this, this magnet, this curiosity of a king who had such wisdom and had such gold. And he answered all that was on her mind. Solomon answered all her questions. Nothing was too hard for the king. And then in verse four, it says of that chapter 10 in 1 Kings, it says this, when the queen of Sheba saw all the wisdom. And I thought that's strange because I don't expect to see wisdom. I expect to hear it, but I don't expect to see it when she saw his wisdom. Because you see, the whole of his court, the whole of his palace, the whole of his armies were were steeped in the wisdom of God. So basically everything was perfect in many ways and she could see it. She could see the wisdom of God in the way that the court behaved, the way that the diplomats moved. The whole thing had something special about it because God was with him. It says when she saw all the wisdom, it says when she, they saw his palace, his food, the seating of his officials, servants in their robes, cupbearers, the whole thing. It tells us there that she was overwhelmed because the waiters were dressed better than her courtiers at home. The menu was better than her menu at home. Those in the kitchens were eating better food than she was eating in her court. Really, the whole thing was overwhelmed and it was all a token of the blessing of God. Upon so it was to be a witness that when you serve God, God will bless you. Now, I'm not saying to you that if you serve God, that you will have this and you will have that, you will have the other, but I know this He will bless you. How He will bless you, I don't know. That's why He's God and I'm not. Because if I was to bless you, I might miss the greatest blessing you need. I might just bless you with what you want, but God blesses us with what we need and we need to trust him that what he's doing in our lives is fine with us but there's one other verse in that chapter 10 it says there when she saw his wisdom his palace his food the seating of his officials the servants in their robes the cupbearers and then at the end it says and the burnt offerings at the temple she saw Solomon at worship now, it's a difficult one, this. So how was the Queen of Sheba able to go into the temple and see what was going on? She wouldn't have been allowed. It would have been forbidden. But some folk commentators say that from Solomon's palace, there was a entrance from the palace into the temple for worship. And it may well have been there that she was able to observe what was going on. I don't know. Do a bit of research. It's your homework. Get off Google or Google this and find out about it, okay? But it says that when she saw him at worship, so it's one thing looking at his court and the, the, the whole natural thing, but the one thing I think that really touched her was the fact that, and the burnt offerings, it says there, she was overwhelmed, overwhelmed this is probably where I'm heading and I'll come back to this in a moment. I will not run over time. May I just say this? When were you last overwhelmed by God? When were you last overwhelmed? When was I last overwhelmed? There were occasions in, in the Mount of Transfiguration where the disciples were overwhelmed. You know, that John in the beginning of the Revelation, it says that when he saw the glorified Christ, not the risen Christ, the glorified Christ, he fell down as if he was dead, overwhelmed by it. When were you last overwhelmed? Not by the the beauty or the majesty of Solomon's court or some earthly thing. When did I last sit down? And that shows my age. Why did I say sit down? You know, when did I last sit down and become overwhelmed at the mercy and the grace of God? This Gentile queen, this, quote, unbeliever, arrived and looking at Solomon was overwhelmed with what she saw. If she had been overwhelmed by Solomon, how much more would she have been overwhelmed if she'd met the Lord Jesus Christ? Solomon was a sinner like us all. But if she had met Jesus in his sinliness, if she have seen him on the Mount of Transfiguration, she would have no doubt been equally as overwhelmed. In verse six to 10, In our reading, it says there that she saw it with her own eyes. She saw his wisdom with her own eyes. She was overwhelmed by what she said. Again, Matthew 17, the transfiguration. Revelation 1, John, I saw him and fell at his feet as though dead. When are you most overwhelmed by Christ? Well, I've got to say, for me, I'm most overwhelmed when I visit the cross. I I know a little about his teaching, I know a little about his miracles, I know a little bit about his plan and things, and that they're fantastic. But you know, for me, Gordon Neal, the time I'm most overwhelmed is when we I visit the cross. When I see him there dying for me, I'm overwhelmed. Because I, to this day, and I've been a Christian over 50 years, I cannot yet understand why he would go through all that for me. I never want to lose that. I never want to lose that sense of being overwhelmed. I never want to lose the sense that I'm contemplating the cross and all he went through. That it does not affect me emotionally, oh, emotionalism. I'm not talking about emotionalism. I'm talking about emotions in that way. She was overwhelmed when she saw the temple and his palace. I tell you what, you can keep the palace. You can keep the temple. I am overwhelmed by Jesus. And maybe that's something for us to contemplate this morning. Maybe that's just something you take home with you. It's when was I last overwhelmed with Christ? You say, well, it was this morning. Well, that's fine. And I'm not criticising. I'm not trying to judge anybody. But that is what it's about. When I hear him say, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When I hear him say, Father, forgive them. They do not know what they are doing. When I hear him saying, it is finished. I am overwhelmed. When I think now of my sin and my behaviour and how he died for me, before I loved him, he loved me. I am overwhelmed. If I could sing, and like Jason, I can't sing, I'd like to sing to you an old hymn now. I'm not going to, you'd be glad to hear. When I survey the wondrous cross on which the Prince Of glory died. My richest gain I count but loss and pour contempt on all my pride. Do I have pride? I'm sure I do. I'm sure I do. If I say I don't have pride, I've got pride in not having pride. So let's get that one out the way. I pour contempt on all my pride. The Queen of Sheba came and was overwhelmed. The Queen of Sheba came. And it says there back to our reading in Matthew that she came to listen to Solomon. Now one greater than Solomon is here. The Pharisees give us a sign and immediately Jesus gave to Nineveh and the Queen of Sheba. The men of Nineveh will stand up and condemn you because at the preaching of Jonah, they repented. And the Queen of Sheba will stand up and judge you or condemn you because you will not listen. I hope you've not stopped listening to God. 99.9 times out of 100, God speaks to me through reading my Bible. I've met people where God speaks to them in prophecies and in dreams and that's fine for them. But I think for most of us here, it's in our Bible reading that God speaks, because that is his word readily available for us. May I encourage you, if you're in lockdown for whatever reason you might have stopped reading your Bible, isn't it strange you've probably had more time to do it but maybe you've done it less, pick up your Bible again, allow his word to come in and dwell with you mightily. The Queen of the South will rise up at the judgment with this generation condemn it. For she came from the ends of the earth to listen to Solomon's wisdom. Now a greater than Solomon is here. You see, Christ's kingdom was greater than Solomon's kingdom. Solomon's kingdom came to an end when he died. The kingdom was split. Christ's kingdom is for eternity. There was a limit to Solomon's borders for his kingdom. But we're told in the revelation that every tongue and nation and tribe will be there worshiping him. His kingdom has no end. Solomon's kingdom would have come to an end, as it did. At his death, it was divided. But Christ's kingdom lives forever. Solomon received the wisdom of God in his heart. Jesus is the wisdom of God. Solomon did not die for the nation. Jesus died for the sins of the world. Solomon made mistakes and trusting in his own ingenuity, entreaties. In and Jesus said, I'm here to do the will of my father. Oh, he's a greater than Solomon. You say, well, Solomon wrote three books. Jesus never wrote a book. Well, I'll tell you what, I can preach from any book in the Bible. I'll find Jesus in there. Anyone. Just give me 10 minutes and a cup of tea and I'll be back. You know, and I'll find it. So, yes, a greater than Solomon. We stand back and we look at Solomon and think, look at his glory. And yet Solomon with all his gold and all his silver and all the jewels and all the throne and all the chariots that he had and the, the found stables underneath where he had his chariots. Amazing the history. The golden age of Israel. Do you know what? Solomon looks dull compared to Christ on the cross. He looks dull compared to Christ at the empty tomb. He looks dull compared to Christ in the book of the Revelation where he is glorified. Be in no doubt a greater than Solomon is here. If you're not a Christian this morning, whether listening online or in the building here this morning, would you please consider giving your life to Christ? So when I'm looking for something more, Please, there is no more. There is no one better. He's greater than the Solomons. He's greater than the Jonas. He's greater than the temple. He's greater than Jacob. He's greater than Abraham. He's greater than the all. If it wasn't a, a, a term that we use flippantly today, i say he is the greatest. But that has sporting connotations for those who are my age. No, no. He's not the greatest. He he's, stands alone. No competitor by nature and by love. Solomon did his best for his nation. Sadly, he failed. Jesus will not fail. I will build my church and the plans of hell will not prevail against. So if you're not a Christian, he died for you as he died for me. And You need to repent and say, Lord, I'm sorry for what I've done. Please forgive me. And you will be overwhelmed by the mercy and the grace of God that follows through. You have to listen and you have to repent and receive him. Let me pray. Father, I ask you now that you'll take these very weak words of mine, but you will bless them so in people's hearts they might bear much fruit On a day when as a nation, we remember those who gave their lives for us in wars, two world wars and subsequent conflicts. We want to honour them. But Lord, we have to say that we honour you for you gave your life for us. And of course, sadly, we lost those soldiers but we did not lose you for you rose again on the third day. May we put our trust in the one who ever lives and who is our Lord and Saviour. Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening.
0: Thank you so much, Gordon, for that. Let's stand together as we come to finish our final song. What a thought for us today. That we need to ask ourselves that question. Yes, we can. When was the last time we was overwhelmed with Jesus? Father, we thank you again for those that may have responded to the good news of Jesus, but we pray, Lord, for those in the room that knows the Lord. And I pray, Lord God, that this week, that we will reflect on the word today and that, Lord, above all else, Lord, we will not bypass the cross in our lives. We thank you for your goodness to us. And we ask you, God, in the name of Jesus for your love to continue to be shed in our hearts in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks, Donna.